0: You are now listening to the Doula Road Trip Podcast. doula. My name is Jariel and I am a certified doula. After a quick and unsuccessful start in the birth industry over six years ago, I am returning in order to turn my passion into my career. In this show, I am going to share with you my journey and my hope is that we together can start up and stay up doing the work that we absolutely love. This podcast will be a recent It will be a tool and it will also be a point of reference for you as you start your journey into birth work. I want to share everything that I wish I knew before I started and answer some frequently asked questions that constantly pop up in birth work even now six years later. I would love for you to be able to find inspiration, to find community and to also be encouraged that the work that you love can absolutely be the work that you do for the rest of your life if you want. So let's go ahead and get into the show. All right. So welcome everybody. We are still in World Doula Week 2021. I'm so excited that the series is still continuing. Today we get the opportunity to talk to a deaf doula. Her name is Oceana Sawyer. I'm so excited that she's able to join us. I will let our special guest introduce herself and then we'll go ahead and move into another great conversation. So welcome and thank you so much for joining us.
1: I'm so happy to be here, Jeriel. I just like, yes, yes. So glad. I love what you're doing, by the way.
0: Thank it's you. It's so cool.
1: And I feel like there really needs to be more Black women out here speaking to us about what's possible. And you are doing that. And I think that's amazing. When you said, can you? I said, oh, yes. I'm down with this sister. So <laughs> let's so see. Um, my name is Oceana. And I came to this work... Uh, of being an end-of-life, I call myself an end-of-life doula and it seems like more and more people are just shortening it up to death doula. You know, when I first started this like a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, I was trying to soft-pedal it. Like I thought, um, oh, you know, if I call myself a death doula, that's going to turn people off. So I'll just call myself an end-of-life doula and that'll make it feel more palatable to people and that was back (laughs) before 2020 when I was trying to make myself palatable to just about anybody now I don't care and out of respect to you and your listeners uh, I'm not going to use the language I typically use (laughs) when I say I really don't give a you know um because I'm pretty much over it after 2020 just over it all um So now I'm just showing up, this is me, I'm I'm doing this. So um, I came to this work um, because I lived in a, notice the tents there. I lived in an intentional community in Northern California. It was one of these old hippie um, communes that had grown up. So all of those 20 year old kids in 1960 who were all about love, free love and the earth and let's live together and not work and just live off. I joined one of those communes and it's still going. Um, And it's like just like 53, 54 years old. So think about this. This community is like over 50 years old and 75% of the people who live there were there almost from the beginning. So that gives you a sense of how old these people are. Wow. <laughs> you know, I, at 58 years old, I am i was a kid, you know. So um, I saw how this was going, you know, all these boomers, you know, in their 60s and 70s. First, I started just trying to figure out how to take care of these people so they didn't have to end up in a nursing home after living all their adult lives in this beautiful park-like setting to end their days in a nursing home just felt crazy. And it it, it was already starting to happen. So I was, I led the charge on developing, you know, programs and processes to keep people at home as they were, you know, getting more and more um, aged and um, ill. And thank God most of them are still in really good shape. Uh, But, you know, the next thing was people started dying. So um, I... Found that that was a spot that actually felt like oh I I think I found my calling, and how I discovered that was even before I um, really took on aging in place in the spot that I lived. This is back in two thousand and seven. Um, my first the first time I attended a death um, was my father's, and that's um you can you can read this whole story on my website. Um, But, you know, he kind of announced he was dying. Um, He already had several strokes and now he was having renal failure, kidney failure. And he's like, you know what, I'm over it. I'm ready to go. I'm just gonna party out. And when he announced that, I was like, oh, okay. Well, I think I will go and be with you. I had to fly from San Francisco Bay Area to Atlanta to be with him in his final days. And I was already on a, I was in a spiritual training too. So I kind of saw this as a, almost like a practicum for the spiritual training I was doing. Like, why don't I go and be with someone as they're dying and see how that space looks and ease a transition for my father. So I arrived and basically, um, without saying all of these words, he and I embarked on a um, an experiment, like an experimental journey. How is it to die? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What do you need to do to die, to well, to meet your maker well? And um, we did that. He, he, I arrived. He was, um, he, he was in a very nice hospice facility, I will say. Very nice. Um, and so all of his physical needs are being taken care of, and I just attended to his his dying process. I attended to him. And we sat, we uh, talked, we communed when he started when he stopped talking, being able to talk, we just we just sat with him and related with him in silence. I actually related with him in silence. Um, and um, so, make a long story short, uh, he, he did transition. It was a awesome experience. Um, it was, it was just glorious. And the thing that made it glorious was, again, he had all of his physical needs attended to. He was given um, amazingly great physical care, um, pain management, just amazingly good care. And all there was um, for him to do was to attend to dying. And in that space of attending to actual dying, it's like holy. It's like this this sacred space opens up. It's hard to describe if you've never been in it, but it's kind of like a, a, a space that's out of time. You kind of drop out of life and you drop into this liminal space between life and death. And the person is in that space. And if you're following along with them, then you're just going with them in this liminal space as they head towards um, death. And then the moment that they die, um, and I'm speaking about um, not just his death, but these other deaths that I've attended, the moment that a person transitions, it's like, it's almost like a tidal wave. You know how like a, a tidal wave back builds, you know? It's very quietly building. And then you can feel the energy. It gets more and more and more intense. And then at the top of a, t- of a wave, not a, I, haven't, I have not been in the tidal wave. I'm just talking about a big wave. At the top of the wave, there's suddenly, a, there's a stillness, almost like motion stops. And then the person um, you can see is not, you can feel it. It's not in their body anymore. They kind of leave their body. And um, then there's this motion, like this wave now coming, arcing towards the shore. And and you can see it almost in slow motion. It will crash onto the shores shortly. And in that period of time though, there's all this time that when you're in it, it just feels like no time. And it's, there's all kinds of books about this, people talking about, you know going towards the light and hearing, maybe they hear angelic music. by the way, the last sense to go when you're dying is your sense of hearing. That's why I tell people keep talking to your person. just keep talking. Um, and um, so there's the stillness, but it's not silent. <laughs> it's It's just like a, a like a, like a not sound, but a sound. It's very intense. And then they go. And then if you're paying attention, and it depends, and it depends on the person who's dying too, if you're, if you're paying attention and they are paying attention, like they really attended to be present during their dying, you can feel the room fill with energy. Like it's a lot of energy. And I'm imagining this is like what happens when someone's being born. Like there's a stillness and then the, the a head comes or our feet. Oh my gosh. I was a feet first baby. And then there's like, Oh, all of a sudden, like, boom, there's like energy, like, Whoa, you know, then this person comes a few more pushes and they're out and wow, you have a whole new life. And this same one, it's kind of similar. I'm thinking when people when someone dies, it's like, yeah, all this energy and then there's nothing. They are, and then you feel the ancestors, that is real. Don't let anybody tell you that's not real. You really do feel, again, if you're paying attention and believing when the first time it happened to me, I thought, no, this can't be, but it's, there's an energy in the room. It's thick and it's, and it feels good. It's like benevolent, you know, it's like, you feel familial love. You feel like the love of your grannies and your aunties and your, you know, and it's like, really? Like, really? Like, yeah, really? Like, you know, you're looking around like, okay, this is really happening. Um. So yeah, all those stories about people saying, this happened with my mother when she died a couple of years ago. She said, you know, as people are transitioning, they start seeing their family members, loved ones who've already died you know, they come get them, you know, it's, it's really, it's so beautiful. Um, and my mother said, you know, I saw uh, Nisi the other day, she said that, you know, from her hospital bed. And um, I said, Oh, really? What did she say? And my mother was not expecting me to say that. <laughs> she looked at me like, you're not gonna say I'm crazy. Like, I'm not telling you what she said, you know, um, and that's the other thing. That is the other thing about dying is um, you, uh, and this is, there's a lot of documentation on this, but people get messages. You get information from the other side. You cannot put words to it. It's like, it's like a, it's like you would think that um, your, whoever's dying would want to tell you about all the, Uh, amazingly cool shit that's happening on the other side, you know, that they're, you know, have access to as as they're dying. And it's like, first of all, one thing is it's very hard to communicate when you're dying. Really, really hard. It takes all of your remaining energy to actually attend to dying. You don't have energy to actually be communicating so you know you you your capacity for speaking goes lots of things start shutting down and speaking is actually among the first so while you might want to be talking and people might be asking you is to communicate that is really hard and and if you're lucky somebody might say a couple of words there at the end like oh my god the light there's so much light you know you you could hear people saying you know like that but um it's um, it's rare, and, or it's not so rare. it happens enough that I can, can speak to it like that. but and it's, it's not going to be much. So um, what their opportunity is to do is to just pay attention with all of your body and all of your senses, and you can pick that up, you know, if you are, you know, that kind of a person who's sensitively attuned. So the reason I'm describing this space in so much detail, It's because it's the reason I am a death doula. That space, Um, I call myself a, um, now I was gonna say, I call myself a um, a doula for the liminal space, okay? Um, The liminal space meaning active dying and then the grief, the space of grieving that happens afterwards where um, the person who's still here in the physical is kind of between the worlds. It's a kind of another cool space. That space too. I can talk more about that uh, later. But the range for being a death doula is vast. I'm, and I know that this is true also in the in the birth doula realm. And anybody who calls himself a full spectrum doula, I'm like, I bow down to you. That's so impressive because just being a death doula is is it's a huge field um, of. Um, study, experience, tools. And so, um, you know, there's everything from being attending, like, like I do at bedside. Actually, I didn't even, I'm even. i not even going to start there. There are doulas who are specializing in um, end-of-life planning, advanced planning. That's huge. Um, and in my work, I just, I, I, I spend actually quite a lot of time that I was going to say, I kind of touched on it. Um, But actually I do spend a lot of time um, talking with people about death education, death awareness, and planning for the end of your life. And I do that in a process I call the end of life vision map. Um, And that's a six week process. And you get to look at the end of your life now through five different domains, the physical domain, the spiritual domain, the emotional domain, the intellectual domain, also known as the legacy, what legacy are you leaving? And then the practical domain, like what do you wanna have done with your body after you are uh, gone? And this is such an interesting, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like delve in here for a minute and I, I'm gonna get to the training, don't worry. But um, you know, this whole area of advanced planning is huge. And people like to, Um, people are very reticent to talk about this because I have this t-shirt, by the way. Um, This (laughs) woman who I can never remember her name. I've got to get her name. I'm going to put it on a post-it on my computer so I can remember it. She came up with this quote that um, a couple of other people have, it's been attributed to them. And if you use this quote and you don't give her credit, she will hunt you down. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know this now. And the quote is, um, talking about death is not going to lead to your dying any more than talking about sex is going to make you pregnant. Mm, love that. Right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, like, it's good to just like in, in life, in, se- in birth, it's good to talk about um, uh, planning, planning. It's good to you know, know what your birth control um, methodologies are that work for you. So you, that when you, you can have a birth that's deliberate, you know you can deliberately create children rather than, oh, accidentally. So um, the same is true with end of life. You could actually deliberately plan your death. It's like actually not that hard to do. Um, the very, honestly, at the very minimum, You should know what you want to have done with your body. If you can communicate just that little piece of information to your family, that's huge. It is huge. And I'll tell you why. It's actually the most loving thing you can do for your family is to tell them now what you want to have done with your body and whether or not you want to have, you know, a memorial, a funeral, you know, those those few things, if you can communicate them, it's such a loving thing because if you don't, what happens is at the very moment that your loved ones are completely devastated by the loss of you, they have to immediately make decisions. And a lot of them, a lot of decisions need to be made um, pretty quickly after you die. And if you haven't left them with any instructions and they have to guess, and that is a very heavy burden to leave with a loved one. It's a heavy burden. And it's not, it's honestly, I'm just going to say it straight up. It's not nice. It's just really not a nice thing to do to the people you love. Just say, just say whatever it is. Um, just if, you, if you tell people you want to be cremated, you're not going to die tomorrow because you said you wanted to be cremated. Just tell people I want to be cremated, you know, or I want to be buried um, with, and I want the full, whole nine yards party. Okay, that's fine too. Just tell them. And if you're really being good and thoughtful, you're going to put the money aside for it. So your kids um, don't have to pay for it or find the money to pay for it, or not go to college now because what the money they were going to put in college, they had to pay now for your funeral because you didn't put any money aside. You know, it's just it's just called being um, a good human being. <laughs> just a just so civil human being, you know. Um, so en- end of life planning, so key, please. And the more you think about it, um, what my experience has been is that... Um, First of all, end-of-life planning doesn't have to be this very tedious drudgery of a, of a process. It can be. You, if you want to do it that way, knock yourself out. It's not my style, personally. I don't like doing things that way. I like to make things fun. Um, and so, you know, I get people together. We have some beverages. We have some snacks. We talk about it. We, you know, people get to have all their big feelings about it. You know, we have, some, we have plenty of tissue You can laugh, cry, do all the things. And I'm there holding the space for you to do that. And I can't tell you how many people have said to me, I'm so glad we went through this because um, a couple of things happen. First of all, they now have a plan. They can just relax now. They can live their life. Hear me say this. You can live your life now because you have a plan for the end of it. Just go live now. Have some fun. Um, and, um, the other thing is, is that by thinking about it now, it gives people the opportunity to consider, to look at the relationships they have now. Like, oh yeah, you know what? I kind of would like to have this person at my, at my bedside as I'm dying. I should probably communicate that to them. And I might want to actually get to know them better or, you know, and there might be relationships that you're, that are, um, at odds. And let me tell you, when you get that diagnosis um, and you have three months to live, let's just say, you don't have a lot of time. And repairing relationships is not what you really want to be spending your life, your time doing. And I guarantee you, I know this is a big, but I guarantee you when you get down to the end of your life, you are probably going to want to reconcile. Whatever that grudge was you had with that cousin who did you wrong back in college, you know, and I'm not talking to her anymore. All that goes out the window when you get down to the end. You just, you will want to go, oh, you know, hey, girl, I'm so sorry. I don't even know why we stopped talking. I mean, that was just some petty mess. I'm really, I'm. You will want to reconcile with people. And so doing that now actually is um, very efficient. It's uh, efficient when you use your life, repair your relationships now. So when you get to the end, you can just party with whoever's there. So that is one end of the spectrum. And then there is the, um, now we're dying. You have a diagnosis, you're dying. So then what your doula can do, help you do is plan like, you know what's your care team uh, how are you going to get to doctors how much um you know treatment do you want to have when do you want to call it like okay if we're not making any progress by this date or i'm i'm done so it's good to have this is a this is this is actually you similar to the birth uh, doula this the the death doula their job is to attend to the client and the client in this case is the person who's dying you know not the person giving birth the person who is dying not the family you know not the husband or the wife you know the birth the death doula's job is to attend to the wishes of the person who's dying and this is key because usually what happens when someone is dying they get a diagnosis And, you know, you have your doctors, you have your hospice, you know, you have social workers, you have all these people who come into play, they're part of your team, but they all, their jobs are to manage you, okay? Their jobs are to manage your um, disease process, to manage you. Their jobs, their job is not to attend to you, You, the person, you, the person who is actually dying. Um, You know, family members, they're like, they're in their own other world, (laughs) you know? They're freaking out because, you know, oh my God, you're not gonna be around. What's that gonna be like, you know? Or they're like, now they have to get into this role of caretaking for a variety of reasons. And many of them don't actually have to do with you, (laughs) okay? Um, You know, they're being a good daughter or whatever. Um, The family dynamics at the end of life are huge and complex. And even if you think you have good relationships, you are nothing, there's nothing like someone dying to bring all that up to the surface, stuff you didn't even know. Oh, somebody wants to talk to me about, Secrets, actually, family secrets that come up when someone's dying. Oh, yeah, death is this really interesting confessional space. You know, just like you want to clean up your relationships, people want to clean up their, get stuff off their chest. You know, it's it's the end of life is a very interesting space. So then your doula is attending to you and making sure they know what your wishes are and that your wishes are being met. And they are there at your bedside when you're actively dying. And so the family can just do whatever they could do, you know, fall apart or, or hang or, you know, become suddenly angelic. Oh, by the way, this is another interesting myth about dying. People think that um, when someone dies, it gets to dying, that they're suddenly going to become a saint. That does not happen, <laughs> really. Honestly, just don't even, don't expect it. If somebody was kind of mean and crotchety, uh, ill-tempered when they were living and now they're dying and you think they're going to suddenly become, you know, nicer, no. What they're going to, what's going to happen is they're going to become more of who they are. That's it. Now, more of who they are might be someone that you may not know that much about, um, because maybe that mean, meanness was hiding someone who was very vulnerable and afraid. You might see that, um, some of that. Um, but really, people are just going to become more of who they are. I mean, think about it. You're vulnerable now. You're utterly vulnerable. You're, you are at the most vulnerable you have ever been in your life, except for the moment in time when you were born and, you know, a toddler. So you are, you know, just that level of vulnerability when you were new on the planet, you return to that level of vulnerability. So people are gonna, but you have a lot more defenses built up, (laughs) you know, and you can use them however long you're able to use them, I guess. So then your doula is with you through death. And then the doula is there at the end after death, um, making sure that um, your body is, um just okay i'm sorry this is this is the language of the, of the death trade and the language of the of the death trade is your body is disposed of in the way that you want it so um, let me just say it a different way your body is treated the way you want it treated um until it's not available to anybody else so um your doula is then with the family and you still, you still, and then the family until that, um, final piece, which is your, um, body is wrapped up. That cycle with your body's wrapped up. Let's call it that. Either you're buried, you're cremated, um, or there's a variety of things that can happen to you now. Um, and that's another cool area. I also have certification in, um, uh, as a funeral celebrant. So um, that that whole thing that happens after you're dead, no longer in your body, it's a whole another realm. So this brings me to training. So um, I have, um, oh, so much to say about this <laughs> actually. Uh, so first of all, there's no state certifications anywhere in the country for end of life um, doulas. Um, I believe that's true for birth doulas too, right?
0: Is there, there, that's true for like the whole industry, like the, right, the, right. The doula industry is not regulated or one in which you have to go to like university or school, or there's really no requirements. We're kind of certifying if we want to not certifying if we don't want to, honestly.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So very similar, um, for death doulas, um, you know, I just wanted to say at the, at the top of this part of the discussion, so much of death work was the work of women, just like birth work. So much death work is, was the work of women and women of color, okay? And then we decided to um, make it a thing. So uh, what happened was baby boomers started dying So now you have a lot of white men who are dying and oh my God, somebody's got to like attend to that. Um, So now you have what sprung up is these death positive movement. So now you've got death doulas practically on every corner. There's like, there must be at least a dozen um, trainings to be a death doula. Um, And You know, I like to say in any given month, like this month, there may be, I don't know, a couple dozen people at the minimum coming out of one training or another, okay? I will just tell you, (laughs) there aren't really any jobs for death doulas. There's barely any business for death doulas. And not because people are not dying. It's because people don't know that they could use a death doula. So what's happening right now, I think in the, in, for all these people who are coming out of trainings, is education. And that's good. That's righteous, actually, because the more that we can talk to people, build up an awareness of what's possible with end of life, then that will um, begin to create demand for people who can care for you at end of life. That's a whole thing. And it's five minutes to, to, to time for me to go. And um, I have a few more minutes, but um, I will say that, so that's just one aspect. This whole thing about the way people of color die in this country, black, indigenous, Asian, uh, Latinx people, um, that's a whole another. that the, I always say the death positive community has, really let that population down. Um, and to, to such an extent, I don't even know honestly what there is to do about it entirely at this point. Um, but I will say that, and I've been, I follow a lot of birth doulas and I, I'm starting to hear this too, which is um, truly with the extent of racism and white supremacy in this country is such that I don't know anymore that a person, a doula with a white body can actually attend to a person with a brown or black body or an Asian body or a Latinx body. Um, I don't know that that is actually possible to do well I mean, really well, because if it's done well, then what is possible in these death and birth spaces is healing, like intergenerational healing. That's possible in these spaces that I spoke about at the beginning of this, which are huge and mysterious and sacred and liminal, anything's possible. And you could heal so much if you were doing it well and how to do that well for a Black, Brown, Asian, Latinx body is to know what the experience is, know what the trauma is and could be, and to, um, put, have in, have in place safeguards to not have that happen. I love the way Sister Mecca talked about this on your lab, last podcast. I mean, that that is real, you know, just to be attentive, to be, to, be, to tend to the special um, experience that ours is in this space is, that's what's required. And so, you know, back in the beginning of the racial reckoning back last spring, I got this question a lot, you know. You said you found me through Alua, and I know it's because we did that "saying it loud, louder" um, uh, piece on racism in the death care industry. Yeah. Um, white people, you know, how do I, um, you know, address the needs of Black and Brown people, which are so great right now? I, I just want to be a source of help and healing. How? Tell me how. You know, what are the words? What are the things I'm like? And I was answering this question. <laughs> I was actually answering this question until I stopped last month during Black History Month. I stopped asking, answering the question because the answer I was giving was pretty much you can't, you know, you, you have so much work to do. And Resmond Menekum says, you know, it's going to take nine generations for white people to recover from white supremacy if they even attend to it. I mean, if they actually start trying, it's gonna take nine generations. So 90% of them aren't even trying. (laughs) So, you know, it's just like, it can't be done. I mean, not well, it can be done obviously, um, but not well. And I was telling people back then, just take another person of color with you. Just take somebody, anybody. They don't even have to be a doula, just take another person of color with you. You know, have, have, get a buddy because you are not going to be able to do this. There are no words, there are no actions, there are no techniques I'm going to give you in this five minute conversation that you are going to be able to attend to my mother dying. Not going to happen. So, being a buddy. Um, and even then, <laughs> you know, internalized racism is real. So, um, the trainings that I did uh, was uh, I did the University of Vermont online training. It's an eight-week program. It's um, taught and led by Francesca Arnoldi, uh, a, a young uh, woman who has a white body. I respect her. I respect her because she's open to, she takes feedback well and she makes adjustments. The other program I did was Conscious Dying Institute. I did that program specifically because they have a spiritual orientation and I was interested in that. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, you, as you heard at the top of this, that whole spiritual space of dying, oh. So I thought they could speak to that. And um, they did actually, they did um, a very reasonable job of speaking to the mystery, the spiritual mystery and alchemy that is death. I will tell you though, that that program, I don't recommend it because um, it um, there's a lot of cultural appropriation that goes on in that program um, and to vary various degrees actually um so and they have done nothing to address their um conditioned white body supremacy so the program is still very white and so i tell i stir people now to the going with grace uh, program and um, that's Alua Arthur. And then my friend LaShawna Williams, A Sacred uh, Passing, uh, which went online during the pandemic. So all of that's virtual now, all of those, both of those programs are virtual now. So um, you can do those. That's what I, I think Cornerstone has a nice program. Um, Nikki Tilsner, she does a, um, a full spectrum program. And I teach, I do a module in her end of life um, part. And those people are down. She's, that's, that's a real, to me, that program is actually, she's got a great team of all kinds of people. That's all kinds of people. I, when I, she sent an email out a few months ago, you know, to all of her facilitators. And when I saw the list, I was like, oh, I just want to sit down and drink some wine with all you people because they were all just these like badasses in their field, you know, you know, um, the full gender spectrum, sex worker, um, poverty. Oh, just she hit it all, and um, postpartum death. Oh gosh, she she just really hit it all. I was impressed. Love it. Um, so, as I said. This work has been in our, among our people for generations, generations, really generations. It was only the civil war that, you know, that it became part of the white male purview and, you know, remains there. And now they take our indigenous knowledge and feed it back to us for a high price, you know? So, and and if we're lucky, we get a scholarship. Yeah, no. You don't need a cert or certificate to be an end-of-life doula. You really don't. Honestly, good hospice training pretty much all you need. That being said, I will say that um, there, there is some knowledge and some tools that these programs have that are useful. If you're actually going to go out and make a business out of it. So, you know, there's some things like what kind of insurance do you need? What kind of business structure is a good to have? Um, What are some standard operating practices that are useful if you're gonna be a professional, Um, tending to people who are not your family or your friends or, you know, uh, strangers? It's good to know there's some professional etiquette um, that is, um, you get exposed to. So for my business, Um, because when I started my training, I knew I was going to, this is going to be my second act. Like I, I, um, my last real career was in human resources, organizational development training. Um, and then I retired from that, um, probably about 20 years ago. It's lucky I got to be retired young. You know, my husband, I married my husband Mm -hmm. and that was... That was it Um, and I dabbled in some things and I also did some teaching um, around uh, relationships and sensuality, so I I did that. Um, And then I came into my doula work and I knew I was gonna make that my second life, my second act. So I put some stuff into place um, before I even finished. Um, So yeah, I did, um, I I went online and I incorporated myself as an LLC and that's so that if something happened and someone wanted to sue me, um, I had a corporation uh, between my assets and theirs, (laughs) frankly. So um, I did that online, Zen Business Solutions. And then I got my uh, insurance through CMAF, CMA and F, I think is what it's called.
0: CMA and F.
1: Yeah. Um, I they have a doula package for birth doulas and it works for end of life doulas, so I just got that insurance. Um, and um, I opened it. um, I didn't you can do this, I didn't do this because my business name is my name. By the way, I highly recommend that. I know a lot of death doulas, including a Lua, <laughs> who has all these you know they come with these great lovely names for their businesses you know oh Lashana too actually although Lashana picked up her, her her organization for somebody else but you know a sacred passing going with grace you know it took me weeks if not months to remember I knew Alua's name but I didn't know the name of her business it took me so long to track her business down <laughs> like what is it, what is that called again is it Alua Death Doula? Oh wait, no. Going, going with love. Going with, anyhow. I highly recommend you call your use your name in your business because you know what what you are selling is you. So you might as well call your business your name. Then people will be able to find you. Um. That's
0: so really surprising advice, especially for somebody with a unique name like. Oceana, because I know nobody on the planet is going to spell Jariel correctly. Like if Mm -hmm. my business was like Jariel labor doula, like nobody would spell that correctly. And nobody has pronounced it correctly in 31 years, except for the people who know me. So like you, you advise that even with people with very unique names, like you and I.
1: Yes. Even better because now you're branded. You know, how many Oceanas are there doing death work? If you Googled Oceana and death, you would find me. That's all all you need to do. Oceana, death. Oceana, end of life. Jeriel, birth. We'll find you. Now they might spell it wrong. Um, And that's okay. It's Google, they'll figure it out. You know how Google is, they'll figure it out. (laughs) Oh, do you really mean two R's, you know? (laughs) Yeah, anyhow, uh, I do recommend that. at least have your name somewhere in your title. Um, So um, I'm Oceana end of life doula, and that's just everywhere. It's very long, actually. I wish I'd been Oceana death doula now, but anyhow, it is what it is. And um, then, you know, I um, got, uh, I set up my social media, everything. LinkedIn, which, you know, you just got to have it. It's a professional space to be, I can't sell into it, but it doesn't matter. It's a professional space to be in. It's good to network with other people in the industry there. Um, Facebook is dying, but you got to have real estate on Facebook. Um, and so you get yourself a business page um, and then your Instagram and um, YouTube if you want it. I don't do YouTube, but uh, lots of people do YouTube. My friend Joelle does YouTube really well. Alua does YouTube also. Um, so you get you get all those things, and you brand them all the same name, and you you know you get you get a palette. You know, you do all the stuff that's branding. I, by the way, hired a website designer and brand um, strategist. Me too. I'm so glad I did. It was a lot of money i will tell you just right up front it was like five thousand dollars to do that and it was a good investment and i couldn't i couldn't i didn't know it i kind of was i went on faith at the time like i hope this pans out and it did they don't tell you how and i tell death it this all the time now you you really need if you're going to be in business set it up like a business like a real business I've done a bunch of websites over the years myself. I know how to do a WordPress website. I can do that. And you know what? I can tell the difference. I know a website that you did over the weekend versus a website that my person did. Because you go to my website and it's like, pow, like, wow. And what I said to her, my, my designer, by the way, was like, oh, my God, this website looks like somebody who, like, is professional, like knows what they're doing. She goes, yes, that's you. You're that person, you know what you're doing. And then we made it look like that because it's true. So um, get yourself, and because I did all that, when I got my big break, I was ready. I didn't have to all of a sudden build a website because now I'm doing a webinar with Elua Arthur, You know, um, just because I happened to be at the right place at the right time it was already there. And um, so it was something that people could easily find when they went to it. They thought, oh, this woman knows what she's doing. you know. So um, that is why I recommend you really invest. It, it does pay off, it does. You don't have to do everything like that, but there are some things that really having a professional do them is, is worth the investment.
0: No, you gave fantastic advice and you dropped so many gems. I absolutely love it. Thank you so much for your time. Can you tell everybody like how they can reach out to you if they are interested in planning or hiring a death doula or have um, questions about what that process would be like?
1: Yes, um, you can find me on my website. <laughs> as I said, Oceana, end of life doula.com I'm all over um, Instagram and Facebook with this uh, same exact same words and um, what you'll find there uh, I'm also on Patreon and I went on Patreon because um, I find that in order to stay in conversation with people to keep dropping these gems I'll be dropping um, and um, get you know paid for it honestly I'm in business is I found the Patreon platform worked really well for that. And I set this platform up very deliberately um, because the very lowest tier, the $5 tier, is only for us. (laughs) Okay? Mm -hmm. Then there's a $10 tier and a $25 tier. That's because I want to be talking to y'all. Okay? That's who I want to be talking to, honestly. And I I do believe that um, everybody should support a sister. I do believe that. And a lot of people want to support me. That's fine, you can support me. I will um, not be spending my time talking to you about that. Um, it, and, but I'm glad you want to support me, please. Uh, and, that's, and that's lovely. But just a side note, um, I am at the moment, I'm, I'm taking a hiatus from speaking to white people about um, what it means to, Um, do death care well for us. I'm focused really on us right now. So you can find me there and I will, um, I got a lot of events coming up in May uh, on the Reimagine platform and you can find those, um, they're free. Oh, speaking of free, Death Cafe. Oh, you guys love Death Cafe. Love, love, love Death Cafe. If you are unsure about death, afraid of death or just like don't have anybody to talk with death about, but you're kind of curious, come to the death cafe, it's free. It happens every Tuesday, Uh, four o'clock Pacific time, seven o'clock Eastern standard time. And it's just us, it's just people of color. We've been talking about all things, life, death, grief, and it's just us, yeah. Oh, wow, okay. Well, thank and you s- so much. And you can find that on my website too. The okay, cool.
0: That. Yeah, I'll drop all of the links for everything in the description. So don't worry if you're like, OMG, I don't have a pen and I need to write all this down. You don't, I'll put it all in the description and I'll link it for you. And Oceana Sawyer, thank you so, so much for your time. I really, really appreciate you being a part of this series. It's been an absolute honor and pleasure to meet you and to get a chance to talk to you. And thank you, thank you, thank you. I really appreciate you for the work you're doing.
1: Yes. Same to you. Back at your sister.
0: <laughs> Thank you. All right, everybody. We'll see you in the next one.